up everybody my name is james d fiore and this is blackball if you are like me you strongly prefer that any information that crosses your laptop or your phones that pertain to the russian the illegal russian invasion of ukraine comes from sources that are inside ukraine it just makes things a lot uh clearer more succinct and i've had Ilya ponomarenko on the show um, Kira Riddick has been on the show as well. And today we have a board member who's from the Anti-Corruption Action Center and the co-founder of the International Center for Ukrainian Victory. And the reason why I was drawn to this person is because uh, on Twitter, I noticed that she often posts the, the most difficult types of posts, which is to detail um, the casualties that take place from soldiers within the Ukrainian military and also civilians as well. So um, I'm really interested in speaking with her today and I, I kind of can't wait. So please, would everyone welcome to the show. Her name is Olena Alushka. I believe I got that right. I hope I got that right. Olena, how are you? Fine, thank you. Can you, um, it, first of all, it's nice to meet you and thank you for taking the time for coming on the show today. Um, can you give me an idea as to what the Anti-Corruption Action Center is and what their mandate is? Of course. This is the civil society organization, non-governmental organization, which was established in 2011, so two years before the Revolution of Dignity. Uh, well, its key goal is obviously watchdogging, um, monitoring uh, how the government is working, but also pushing uh, for the anti-corruption and rule of law related reforms. Uh, because we were operating for two years during the Yanukovych period, uh, I mean, we, we can compare uh, how Ukraine dramatically has changed with the revolution of dignity that take place in 2013, 2014. And since that time, my organization has been pushing for the establishment of the new anti-corruption agencies for the investigation, prosecution and uh, trial for the corrupt crooks. We've been uh, pushing a lot on the transparency reforms, like opening up the, the state registries or introducing the uh, electronic asset declaration system. So we are basically those who are the advocates for the anti-corruption and justice-related reforms in Ukraine. And is part of the motivation to set up an organization like that um, centered around the idea of Russian assets being politically active in Ukraine? Um, well, uh, obviously, we've been uh, pushing for the investigation uh, of corruption. Mm -hmm. And uh, before this, uh, first of all, before the Revolution of Dignity 2013-2014, but even after that time, unfortunately, we did have the, the cases uh, how Russia has been uh, misusing corruption in order to uh, to try and influence Ukrainian politics, to try and influence Ukrainian society. 
So for us, closing the corruption loophole was also about closing the vulnerability of our state towards any external influences uh, of Russia. Okay. Um, now, you're also the co-founder of the International Center for Ukrainian Victory. Tell me a little bit about that organization. Well, that's the center which we um, established in Warsaw uh, in the first days after the uh, big war started. And its uh, primary focus is mobilizing the world for the Ukrainian victory. As you can see from the name of uh, um, our organization, uh, we are very clear that Ukraine will win this war. The question which worries us is at which price uh, we will win it and when this will happen. Hmm. Because every day of fighting, it costs us, as you have already uh, mentioned it in your introductory word, um, the lives uh, of our best people who are dying on the front lines, the lives of the civilians whom Russia is terrorizing with their uh, missiles, uh, which are fired at peaceful towns uh, across entire country. So for us, it's incredibly important to mobilize the world for supporting our victory, which means uh, sufficient military assistance, which means real, effective, tough sanctions, which means the recovery of the critical energy infrastructure prompt today, not uh, the, the post-victory recovery, but something like, you know, substations or uh, power transformers or uh, power generating um, facilities, they need to be repaired immediately after they are uh, damaged, because this is about the liabil liability uh, of, of the Ukrainian towns. Uh, also, we advocate for the accountability for all of the Russians' acts of aggressions, because we are seeing that today's genocide is taking place because previous acts of Russian aggression in Ukraine in 2014, in Syria, in Georgia, even in Chechnya, they were never um, punished. Yeah, it, I, I don't know if I've ever heard of uh, any nation being punished for uh, the atrocities that they that they do, but hopefully... Hopefully you'll be able to see justice on that front. Again, when I mentioned at the beginning that um, I, I, I go to your page to feel what a patriotic Ukrainian might feel. That, that is my motivation to go to your page because you post things that I think are difficult um, but necessary, right? So I, I don't know how intimately you uh, uh, um, acquainted yourself with with a lot of the um uh, casualties that you post but i'm gonna i'm gonna post a couple and and, and just see if if um you posted this uh, i believe it was yesterday and you say rest in honor Sergei maestro since 2014 who's part of a team of the first voluntary mobile hospital in 2022 formed it's i don't know how to pronounce that <laughs> sorry i don't want to zitomer brand left behind his wife kids and parents and you have a lot of different, like every day, it seems like you're posting stuff like this, which which obviously makes it really tragic, and and sad. But again, I, I I feel a sense of patriotism when I go to your page. Can I ask you if if when you post that, how difficult it is, and if you've ever been able to to um, to speak with any of the family members of the uh, people that you end up posting? 
Well, uh, in fact, uh, most of these people whom I'm posting about, they are either my uh, acquaintances oh. or the acquaintances of my acquaintances. So these are not random people. These are, are, are people who are, you know, friends of my friends. And unfortunately, every day that I'm going uh, on Facebook, because Facebook, that's the social media I'm using to stay connected with my Ukrainian friends and, mm -hmm. and acquaintances, I'm every day seeing new and new casualties. Um, obviously, I'm regularly in touch with, with, with many people who lost their lo loved ones, their relatives, their friends. A few of my very close friends uh, were also killed in action. And I have to tell you that obviously this is a very big tragedy because we have to understand that these people, they are actually the, well, they are the best of our society. They are um, present or future uh, business elites, uh, political elites, uh, elites from the creative industries. So these are people with absolutely different professions, with absolutely different backgrounds. Many of them were never military or many of them joined the army as volunteers in 2014 when Russia first uh, invaded uh, our country. But they all changed their uh, usual, you know, tools of, of professions, you know, computers, uh, I, I don't know, uh, uh, guitars, uh, uh, whatever they were doing before the war, and they took up arms, because this is our liberation fight, because this is the colonial war of Russia, when they try to enslave an absolutely independent nation. And this is the matter of our survival, if your country is going through genocide, you are leaving everything and you are joining the army. And we are losing really the best people. And I think that this is a huge tragedy of our society. And the sooner we get more uh, necessary weapons, the sooner we get more armored vehicles, more infantry fighting vehicles, the more lives of these people we will be saving. Because take a look at what is happening near Bakhmut right now. These, these people, they are heroes. They are doing real miracles. But if they received modern tanks, like Leopard 2 tanks, German tanks, which we have been asking for 10 months since the very beginning of the war, and we still do not have the, the decision of, of the German government to transfer this tanks to us, these tanks could be saving the real lives of real people. And I'm sharing these stories because these are not statistics. These are not just, you know, hundreds or thousands of people. These are the lives of our best. I, I am, you know, I'm with you. Uh, and I can hear it in your voice. I can hear the emotion in your voice, obviously. Um, I'm sorry that I, I, I should have asked you before we went on air if the images were people uh, that you knew. But um, it just makes me, um, first of all, I want to let you know that while I can see that your emotion, the number one thing that shines through when I'm talking to you is strength. I, and I, I can see it in your face. I can see how proud you are of the people um, that you know that have gone and that have passed away uh, that were killed by, by Russian aggression. Um, you know what's interesting is that when you said um, that when you mentioned a guitar and how somebody that you knew had to basically trade his musical instrument for a machine gun, 
you know, it, it's not something that they signed up for, but but they had to do it to to prevent genocide in their country. Um, if I put pictures up, or do you think you'll be able to comment on them? These are your pictures. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So I have one here. Can you explain what we're looking at? Uh, yes, of course. This is the family of, um, they are civilians, uh, and the rocket uh, Russian missile uh, hit their house uh, three days ago. And that missile, uh, th there was a simple residential house uh, in Krivirih, and that missile killed entire family, uh, mother, father, and their uh, one and a half year old son. Uh, th that family also had uh, another boy, uh, older son, but he was at that moment with, um, with their grandparents. So he survived, but entire family is, is dead only because of Russian wild terrorism against Ukrainian peaceful towns. Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, Four Kids Flashback. Four Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. We'll be talking to the people who worked at Four Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback. Yeah, that is... Um, I, I, I talk about this a lot, about how people in North America... We have no idea of what it's like to have a war in your home country and how how different it is, obviously, than than being shipped off to war in a different country. And um, and we're seeing it. Uh, we're hearing it in your voice. You know the, what what it does to a people. I'm going to put another picture up here. Um, who is this? That's the the friend of uh, of one of my acquaintance. And, and and how did he? Uh, where was he when he when he was killed? That was on the east. Uh, I do not know, unfortunately, more details. Okay. Um, and then there was this one that caught my eye. This one I kind of like because it this feels like, um, you know, the role of women in this war can't be understated, can it? Yes, of course. I mean, the women are uh, are, are doing amazing job. Many of the women joined uh, military, they joined armed forces. And this story is indeed a very big inspiration because this is about uh, a young woman being a commander of one of the squadrons uh, at the National Guard of, of Ukraine. And um, she's doing great there. And I think that for me personally, she and other women who are serving in the armed forces, they are very, very big inspiration because they are doing impossible. Uh, they are very often, uh, uh, I mean, showing no less her heroism uh, than uh, male 
servicemen. And uh, uh, I'm very proud. Well, there was the statistics, but I do not remember it, but something like... Um, around 20%, well, I do not want to misinform you, but around there the is quite a big percent of um, women who are serving in the armed forces. And that is really cool because they, they rock. Yeah, no, I thought, uh, listen, I don't know if you guys know uh, over there in Ukraine, but here in Canada, when when the war first broke out, the, the, the running uh, narrative was that Ukraine didn't stand a chance. And then what we saw, what I thought was one of the most amazing displays of a country just knowing what it needed to do and coming together. And we saw, you know, from, from where we were looking, we, we saw uh, an entire nation just sort of become enamored with the idea of fighting against this invader. And I got to tell you, we, I was so impressed um, with with your with the Ukrainian people. I I, I can't um, I don't know if I can articulate it properly because I don't want to sound like I'm just um, you know uh, trying to butter you up or trying to give you compliments just because you're here. It's really not like that. I don't think I could uh, again overstate how amazing it was to see sort of a David and Goliath story take place with uh, with. With especially when it came to the voluntary civilian force in Ukraine, I had a guy named John Spencer on the show uh, not too long ago. I've had him on twice. He wrote a handbook about urban warfare that your government, your military, printed about two hundred thousand copies and handed it out to the civilian force specifically. And um, and and the how proud uh, people like John Spencer and others are that you guys were able to just surprise everybody and 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 push back the the russian offensive i mean is it the same over there like are you still able to i guess maybe this is my question are the ukrainian people still able to find that kind of inspiration that they had at the beginning of the war is that still there is morale still up of course i mean the morale will be up till the very victory because we simply do not have the any option uh, of of giving up, and when somebody is telling me, you know, the, the things which you just voiced, I do not uh, treat them as the compliment because I have to tell you that I'm personally very much inspired by 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 the Ukrainian society, uh, by the very unique resilience of Ukrainian people, and right now we are going through um, a very um, a complicated new phase of war because as Russia is losing um, on the battlefield after the successful counteroffensives uh, in the Kherson and in the Kharkiv regions, um, and as winter uh, was approaching, you know that in mid-October Russians started um, firing um, missiles at the critical energy infrastructure. Mm. And basically they damaged, according to the latest estimations, around 50% of our uh, energy system, mostly electricity system. But electricity system, it is the, the blood of, of everything. Yeah. Because without electricity, you might not uh, have heating because heating system in Ukraine is uh, centralized. Uh, and to, to get the hot water into the batteries, you basically need the pumps to, 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 to put that water up. 
uh, you know, in, in the multi-story apartments. You do not have eleva elevators working. Most of, of Ukrainians, they have the electric stoves uh, in their homes, meaning that they cannot even cook, um, cook food. But even despite a very, very difficult conditions for everybody, not only for the servicemen who are in, in trenches right now in this cold winter, and winters in Ukraine are super cold, it, they are snowy with minus 15, minus 20 degrees Celsius during the nights. Uh, obviously, this is not a comfortable um, uh, temperature for spending the nights in, in trenches. And mm -hmm. people are in their homes without heating, without electricity, even despite this huge, uh, uh, immense, um, uh, complicated and hard conditions. Ukrainians are still very uh, convinced that we will win this war, that this is the hardship which we have to endure. And I fully agree with what President Zelensky said, that, that, that this his you know, iconic phrase that uh, without electricity, but without you Russians. And if, the, if uh, getting absolutely free uh, from, from any, uh, uh, you know, Russian attempts to uh, colonize us uh, or, or something like that uh, uh, requires temporary uh, hardships Ukrainian nations Ukrainian nation is ready to do this and but I have to stress that uh, the West can help to reduce the, the the sufferings of people and we are advocating for uh, maximum military assistance but we are also advocating for the special equipment which is necessary for the restoration and keeping our electricity system operational so yeah yeah can, can i ask if um if if you or if the media there are are basically connecting the lack of german um assistance when it comes to things like tanks with the political situation that the germans find themselves in uh regarding their dependence on the natural gas supply from russia well, I have to tell you that with regards to Germans, we all have to recognize that they as a nation have passed an incredible evolution with regards to uh, providing Ukraine with the weapons. Because when we were talking, you know, to them in, in January, in February, when basically it was already, you know, uh, clear that Russia would invade and, you know, maximum which we could have expect from them was uh, 1,000 1, helmets. It sounded like a real joke back then, but their stance was that no way we are not supporting, you know, parties of, of the war. Uh, we, we, we cannot be sending um, military assistance. It goes against our uh, understanding of the world, against our values, etc., etc. And today, I mean, you know, I, I've seen the statistics, uh, public opinion polls, just a few days ago, uh, saying about um, uh, uh, the uh, voters of which parties are supporting the supplies of the uh, 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 battle main battle tanks for Ukraine, so Leopard 2 tanks. And the uh, supporters of the party Greens, which is absolutely pacifistic party, yeah. you know, they are uh, basically the biggest <laughs> support for, uh, for, for, for the supplies. 
meaning that on one hand, and it is very important that we have to acknowledge this progress which German society has, has passed. Uh, but on the other hand, obviously, German government can be doing much more with regards to providing us armored vehicles, with regards to providing us uh, Leopard 2 tanks, uh, infantry fighting vehicles, and we continue advocating for that. And if you ask me about what is the reason for that, uh, I wouldn't probably say that this is the, the energy dependence on Russian gas, though it is, of course, very important. I would say that the reason more lies in the um, World War II heritage and um, the, the perception of, of Germans uh, that, um, you know, they have this debt to um, Russian people uh, as, as those who uh, kind of inherited Soviet Union, that once, you know, German tanks were um, assaulting uh, Russian people, so this cannot repeat. And what we are right now trying to explain that German tanks would never assault Russian people if Russian people would not invade Ukraine, yeah. coming in our country, you know, murdering, doing atrocities, killing uh, uh, I mean, continuing this war crimes, uh, in this case, German tanks would be basically saving the lives of Ukrainians because we are party who are fighting the just war. And, and we are only defending our sovereignty. We are only defending our land, which is within the internationally recognized borders. And every military, every piece of military assistance which we are receiving, this is not an offensive weapon. This is a defensive weapon because we are waging the defensive war against Russian aggression and Russians are waging uh, uh, offensive. Uh, how important has Zelensky's leadership been? Well, just today, Zelensky visited Bakhmut, which I think is a very uh, powerful move and a very powerful um, signal towards uh, Ukrainian military. And I think that he's a decent uh, wartime leader. And that's very interesting because I did not vote for him uh, as, as the president. And I have opened up him from during this uh, big war from an absolutely new angle. Okay. Um, I know you have to go soon. So I just want I have two more images left and... Uh... Maybe you can comment on these as they come up. So this is from December 18th. Yes. Can uh, you talk about last... this at all? Or... Yeah, go ahead. Sure. Well, during the last um, uh, uh, terrorism uh, campaign, when Russians were um, firing, um, th th that was a very massive um, missile strike when they fired... Um, around 40 missiles at Kyiv, um, 37 uh, of them were uh, shot down by the, uh, by the Ukrainian uh, military. And one uh, among the, those 37 was shot down by, the, uh, by this young man and his machine gun which, you know, on one hand, it sounds uh, like impossible, one in, in the million case, uh, but it happened. And many media wrote about it. And the 
territorial defense unit he is uh, um, serving in uh, rewarded him with a state award for this heroic act. And I think that uh, I think that this is just an amazing story. And we also have to be telling, you know, um, this inspirational uh, cases, this inspirational stories, because that, that is also something which, from my perspective, has to motivate our uh, Western partners to uh, keep helping us. That is amazing. So just to recap, he shot down a Russian missile with a machine gun. Yes. That is amazing. See, that's the kind, those are the kind of stories where, you know, it makes me, like, I, I've obviously been um, pro-Ukraine since this whole thing started. I, I know that Russia is a totalitarian regime. regime. It's led by, um, I, I don't call him a madman because I think Putin is very sane. He's just very evil. Um, you know, I, he's just one of those leaders that, that um, you know, causes mayhem in the world. But to hear a story like that uh, and, and to know that, um, that the smaller military is pushing the bigger military back, I love these stories. And um, so here's the last image that I have before I let you go. And you can let me know what we're looking at. Uh, yes, uh, unfortunately, that's, uh, um, I didn't know this okay. young man. And uh, this story was published by the Ukrainian Veteran Fund. This is one of the charities uh, which is uh, helping Ukrainian veterans, as you can see from, from its name. But, uh, but they are also telling uh, the stories about Ukrainian fallen heroes and, uh, and about those who are defending Ukraine on a daily basis. And this story, it struck me very much because he's so young. He mm -hmm. was just 23 years old. And, uh, but he was a professional serviceman who already joined military uh, during the war. Uh, because you know that our war started not this year. It started in 2014 when mm -hmm. Russia invaded uh, Ukraine, occupied Crimea, occupied parts of Donetsk and um, and Luhansk regions. And uh, this young man, he knew basically that at a certain point, this war, that the scale of this war uh, might grow up. And he anyway joined military and he fall with the, with the death of the hero. And I think that um, the best memory, the best uh, commemoration of his sacrifice would be Ukrainian victory. And uh, that's what we are trying. I, to I, I read the one detail about he, they, he died on in March and they didn't find him until October. Yes, um, which is sad for his family. Um, I, I want to tell you something uh, talking to you just for this 30 minutes. Uh, I'm, I'm super impacted by, by, how you speak and and how strong you sound and how patriotic you sound and um i'm really thankful that that ukraine has people like you who um who have seemed to make it your life's mission to to make sure that you are doing whatever it is that you can as olena to be able to to bring victory to your country so i i just want to let you know that i i i'm very impressed by you thank you very much thank you very much olena halushka thank you very much for joining us today Thank you. Okay. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Awesome. She was incredible. Um, 
I hope to have her back. And if she's still listening, um, you can come back anytime. Um, you know, like I said in, in early in the podcast, we have no idea what it is like to have war on our soil. Um, and I think you just saw what it's like for somebody who, uh, who, who isn't on the front lines. Um, Elena Halushka kind of embodies that spirit that you hope civilians have when task like stop, uh, you know, um, a former superpower, whatever you want to call Russia, um, from colonizing your country. Uh, listen to her talk, watch her face when she speaks, and listen to how determined that she is to bring victory to Ukraine. I am super impressed with that with that individual. And um, Elena, if you're listening, I, I'll have you back at any time. Um, tomorrow on Blackballed, I might have a show tonight, but I'm not sure. But tomorrow, I have um, the privilege of interviewing a he's he's call he calls himself a heart leader. Uh, he's a professional networker and he's a, a professional personal brand marketer, and he's also a great public speaker and coach and author. And his name is Bobby Umar, and he's going to be on tomorrow at I believe seven o'clock. I will update you on that when I have that information confirmed. And yeah, we may have a show tonight. Uh, we may not. I, I'm still trying to tinker with a couple of things. I'm going to try to stack this week with as many shows as I can. Um, wow, I'm really impressed by Elena Halushka. How do you say her name? Halushka. Elena Halushka. Uh, yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed that interview because uh, you saw everything uh, when she was speaking. You saw patriotism. You saw emotion. You saw strength, determination. Um, basically, she's a hero. So uh, I thank you for watching, and we'll see you next time on Black Ball. Black It is your favorite girl. That's right. It's the Ali Mars, the one and the only. Everyone else just ain't me. I am the host of Welcome to Mars, a lifestyle podcast where nothing is off the table. I have come a long way from sex and dating and have transformed the new vibe to all things lifestyle. We still talk sex, but I'm more interested in the journey, where people have come from, how they made it, and where they're going. Subscribe or follow to a brand new look and a brand new era. Welcome to Mars. Subscribe or follow on Apple, Spotify, Google, or at theallymars.com. Because even with the new look, I'm still that same bitch you love to hate. Do, did, will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. 
Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Crier Media Network.